Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. Why don't we just get started um, by having you introduce yourself, say your name, and where you're from. So my name is Walter Peranto, and I live in Brownington, Vermont. Perfect. And are you from there originally? I am from Westmore, Vermont, which is the town next door. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Could I just ask you to say exactly what your question is? Say, like, I'm wondering about X. Yeah. My question is, just how culturally different is the Northeast Kingdom from the rest of the state? Can it be quantified in any way, or is it largely legend? Perfect. Um, and so, I mean, Brownington is in NEK. Yes, it is. Um, and you grew up the next town over yep. in, say the name again? Westmore. Westmore. Okay. So why did you ask this question if you are from there? I asked that question because I grew up in the Northeast Kingdom and I left the state when I was 19. And I've been away for the better part of the last 16 years. And I just moved back. So did you have a like a reaction when you got back where you felt like you were seeing your home in a new light? It's more that I had a reaction growing up there. Okay. So I um, my question stems from the fact that I'm gay and growing up in the Northeast Kingdom wasn't easy for me. Mm. And high school was not an enjoyable experience. And one thing that happened growing up in the Northeast Kingdom when I was there in the late 90s was that Governor Dean signed the civil unions law. At... Uh about 1.30 this afternoon, with my staff, I've signed the civil unions bill. The reaction in the Northeast Kingdom, at least from my perspective, was that people put up these Take Back Vermont signs all over the place. I think it is a courageous and powerful statement about who we are in the state of Vermont. And I talked to a friend of mine who grew up closer to Burlington, and he was like, no one has those signs here. I never see them. And I saw them daily, like all over the place. Uh, After that was signed, um, Governor Dean came to my high school, which was Lake Region Union High School, and he spoke, and we had an all-school assembly. And while he was speaking, my high school was booing him. And I was, like, hiding in that assembly, just, like, shrinking down. Whoa. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, like, this isn't the place for me, you know? And it was after I left the state that people would be like, oh, you're from Vermont. Oh, it's so liberal. It's so progressive. It's so this, this, this. And I just kept thinking, like, this is that wasn't my experience. Like, what is this Vermont people are telling me about? And after living outside the state for 15 years and just hearing that again and again, you know, I just kept thinking, like, you know, like, was my experience normal or average or just like a quirk? And so how did you translate that into your question when did you start thinking, oh, is it, is it about the region? Is there something going on with this part of the state? Like, what's your, what's your think, thinking there? I think it was, I know that we say, oh, Northeast Kingdom is different when we look at a brochure, when we see it in a commercial, when it's on TV. Take a trip back to a simpler time in this historically rich area. No matter the season, the Northeast Kingdom offers a unique Vermont experience. It's always made to sound totally different. And is it? You know, that's that's the heart of my question. And that's why I asked, like, can it be quantified? Because I, I want to see it on paper instead of just seeing it in a brochure. Like, visit Northeast Kingdom, so different from the rest of the state. Like, 
is that why we think that? Because it's just been repeated and repeated and repeated? Or can you actually look down and, and see it? I really hope we can find the answer to your <laughs> yeah, question. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Welcome to Brave Little State, VPR's people-powered journalism podcast. I'm Angela Evansy. This is a show about curiosity, where we answer your questions about Vermont, our region, and its people. This month, we take on Walter Peranto's question about the Northeast Kingdom. It's a region made up of three counties, Caledonia, Essex, and Orleans. And Walter wants to know if they are quantifiably culturally different from the rest of the state. In some ways, this is a very hard question to answer, but we've done our best. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund, and this month we are featuring the music of Northeast Kingdom native Patrick Ross. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. We called up Governor Howard Dean to see if he remembered getting booed at Walter's High School, Lake Region. He said he doesn't, but figures it probably did happen. Either way, though, the era of civil unions in the region isn't really the focus of Walter's question. I don't want this to come off as, like, um, bad publicity for the Northeast Kingdom. You know, that's important to me, too. Walter told us that now that he's back in the kingdom, his experience of the place is really different than it was when he was a high schooler. I, after leaving and coming out, is a long, hard process, and I became more comfortable with myself. So now returning, it doesn't bother me so much what other people think because I feel more confident. Walter has changed, and of course a lot has changed in general in the past 18 years. So his question isn't actually about homophobia in the kingdom or LGBTQ issues. Instead, he's just generally curious about what does or doesn't set the place apart in terms of things like politics and the economy, and the way those things shape culture. He also wanted to know, what's with the name? For that, we can turn to a resident chronicler of Northeast Kingdom, past and present. Good morning, Northeast Kingdom. This is Scott Wheeler with the Vermont Voice, a program of 1490 WIKE in Derby. Scott Wheeler hosts a radio show and a TV show and publishes the Northland Journal all with a focus on the Northeast Kingdom. In this recording, which is from 2010, he's talking to a woman named Lola Aiken, the widow of the Vermont governor turned U.S. Senator George Aiken. The man who coined the phrase Northeast Kingdom. Good morning, Lola. Good morning. Well, it's great to have you this, here this morning because you know what? You're one of my favorite people. You're one of my favorite people, too, and I like to see you. The Aikens were big fans of the northeast corner of the state. So, and he used to fish in the northeast kingdom. And you said you had a particular love for Island Pond. Yes, I did. Right. So why was that? I don't know. I just thought it was a wonderful spot. 
The story goes that George Aiken uttered the phrase Northeast Kingdom at a meeting of business people in Lindenville. And uh, that was in 1949. He was at the Darlin Inn. Yeah. Uh, did he tell you, how did how did he come up with the uh, uh, title Northeast Kingdom? I don't know because it wasn't there. I was told that he stopped and he had suddenly gotten the idea of that expression. The Northeast Kingdom. Yes. And did you, I wonder if he thought it would ever stick the way it has. It has really stuck. Come over here. Okay. okay, 1949, what was going on before the meeting was, in the years before. I met up with Scott Wheeler at an Italian restaurant in Derby to talk more about this. Scott says it wasn't just by chance that the region got a catchy name. They were trying to come up with a way, These the, the business groups of the time, the area was beautiful, but it was also poverty-stricken. And so they were trying, you, you can read it in newspapers of the time, they were trying to figure out how to brand this area. It wasn't just to get people to see it, but it was also to bring economic commerce here. Since he interviewed Lola Aiken, Scott says he's become less certain that George Aiken did indeed coin the term. He's read an account that suggests Aiken may have actually heard it somewhere else and just repeated it. But regardless, Scott says Aiken was the one who popularized it. No matter who coined that phrase, if the Tri-County area had never been coined, what you know, Northeast Kingdom or anything else, I don't think we would be thinking of ourselves as a particular region. I just and in Scott's mind, it was kind of a random grouping of three counties. It's really hard to lump the three counties together. We're so much different in so many ways. Orleans County is more, uh, well, at the time, was more Darien. Uh, then you have the lumber regions of Essex, which is the real kingdom. I mean, that's like rural. But then you have Caledonia County, which is a, the, the economy, I believe, is a bit better than the poverty that we experience in Orleans and Essex County. That's true, by the way. According to recent estimates from the U.S. Census, Orleans and Essex counties have the highest poverty rates in the state, just under 15%. Caledonia is in the middle of the pack, with Rutland, Orange, and Chittenden counties at around 12%. But Scott says that kind of thing doesn't stop people from mentally lumping the three counties together into a single place with a mythic name. There's that romantic sound of, of the Northeast Kingdom. And I just think it's, it's a good drawing card. And I, I, think, I think, in other words, it served its purpose well. That's exactly what the movers and the shakers of the 30s and 40s were trying to do. It isn't a totally arbitrary region, though. You might remember from our episode on Vermont's geology that parts of the kingdom have bedrock that's more similar to New Hampshire than the rest of Vermont. And it's also basically hemmed in by the Green Mountains and the White Mountains. As a result, just in previous time, uh, it was a little more difficult for people to reach the Northeast Kingdom. Mark Breen is the senior meteorologist at the Fairbanks Museum in St. Johnsbury the home of VPR's Eye on the Sky weather forecasts. He says those same mountains block something else from coming in, warm weather. And so the cold air sits 
down next to the river valleys and so forth through much of the Northeast Kingdom, and the warm air kind of goes over the top of it, almost basically skipping the Northeast Kingdom in some cases. Mark says the kingdom is colder than the rest of Vermont when you look at both average temperatures and record lows. The coldest official temperature was 50 below zero in Bloomfield, Vermont, but uh, there was also an unofficial 52 below zero recorded in Gilman, Vermont. He says the Northeast Kingdom actually gets less snow than other parts of the state, but the snow it does get sticks around for longer. It doesn't disappear until April on the average, and in some locations, it actually gets uh, closer to the 1st of May. And even when there's not snow, there's frost. Basically, frost has been recorded in some of those locations every month of the year. And so not only... Uh, does that make it a challenge in terms of gardening? But it makes uh, this location the, the place in Vermont that has the shortest growing season. And on top of all that, there's not even much sunshine to be had. We know that Burlington, Vermont, is actually one of the cloudier places um, in the U.S. But I also know that Burlington, relative to the Northeast Kingdom, is much sunnier. And so... I would expect that the Northeast Kingdom, if we can complete all the records, would probably come out just about even in terms of cloud cover as places like Seattle, Washington. Blaisdell of Danville has a few thoughts on the weather. Hi. He talked to Erica Heilman, the host of the podcast Rumble Strip. You let me come in. No. Okay. Well, how about we sit in your truck? Cause I'm freezing. Erica works with our show on occasion, and you're going to hear a bunch of interviews that she and Walter and I did all over the kingdom, scattered through this episode. I got. I'll go get mine. Break down quickly. No, I'm back a lot. I don't want to bother them. Okay. So you grew up in Randolph, Tunbridge area. Yeah. How do you think the kingdom's different from other parts of this state? Oh, it's colder in, <laughs> in shorter season. That all I can say about it. I don't. I, I'm not really. I'm. I'm not satisfied. You know, with the way of the world up here. I the seasons are a little too short, and the taxes are just as high, and it's not worth a sh- It's not very. It's not the best farmland. You got poor seasons, but I don't know. I for what I do. No, it ain't going to make a hell of a lot of difference, but it's not well, the seasons are short, so you get, it was two weeks in the fall and it was two weeks in the spring, so, it, and you pay just as much taxes, so you you lose in the end, and so, it, it it's nothing fantastic about it, it's just, I'm here, so I'm too goddamn old to leave, but it ain't very shiny. Another metric of difference our question asker Walter was wondering about is politics. And this one might not surprise you. Yes, the Northeast Kingdom is quantifiably more conservative and more Republican than the state as a whole. Lachlan Francis is a senior at the University of Vermont and a double major in political science and geography. When we spoke, he had just gotten back from a student political science conference in Washington, D.C., where he was presenting a paper he'd done on voting patterns in Vermont. 
So I took all presidential election results on a town-by-town basis from 2000 to 2016. And then I calculated a a Democratic performance index for every town. Lachlan disclosed to us that that he's worked for the Democratic Party on state and national campaigns. But for this project, he was just crunching numbers from the Vermont Secretary of State's office and then mapping them. And from there, I observed that Republican support was clustered in the Northeast Kingdom, all over the kingdom, as well as uh, in parts of Rutland County, um, and certainly in the more rural parts of Franklin County outside of St. Albans City. So yes, the kingdom is conservative in relation to the state as a whole. But Lachlan says it's important to remember the bigger picture. I think in the national context, what is interesting about the Northeast Kingdom is for how rural it is and for its sort of economic structure and, you know, some of the other Uh, identifiers that researchers have looked at when considering partisanship, the Northeast Kingdom is remarkably liberal for what it is. For example, the three counties in the kingdom have some of the lowest rates of graduation from high school and college in the state. This is something that tends to track with a more conservative vote. But in 2016, Hillary Clinton narrowly won Caledonia and Orleans counties. Essex did go to Donald Trump. Uh, It's just funny for us to sort of consider that you know, given our own notions of of how conservative the NEK is compared to the rest of the state. One quick note on religion, which our question asker, Walter, was also wondering about. In terms of the percentage of people who are identified as belonging to a religious congregation, the three Northeast Kingdom counties are not more religious than the rest of the state. This is according to the Association of Religious Data Archives at Penn State University. And by the way, Those, quote, notions about the NEK that Lachlan referred to, people who live in the kingdom know what they are. Uh, You know, a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say dumb, but, you know, uh, a little not, not, not sharp. The Northeast Kingdom's got the reputation of uh, maybe people being a little rednecky. You're considered a redneck because it's just a small town and... Redneck, you know... There's, like, less education here. It's kind of the bastard stepchild of Vermont. In their eyes, not ours. The worst employment rate. Yeah, I mean, people do. They think we have nothing here. You know, we're backwoods. You know, they're like, oh, you have internet access? I'm like, yeah, we have really nice high-speed internet access in town. (laughs) Lachlan Francis, the UVM student, makes one more really important point that the kingdom isn't the only place in Vermont with a really strong rural identity. I think this story of polarization as it exists spatially in Vermont is less to do with the other 11 counties versus the Northeast Kingdom and more to do with large and small towns. In his research, Lachlan drew on the work of a geographer named Catherine Kramer, who has written about what she calls rural consciousness. I mean, I'll quote her at first, I guess. So she writes that many people in rural communities understand public issues through a lens of rural consciousness. This is a perspective that encompasses a strong identity as a rural resident, resentment towards cities, and a belief that rural communities are not given their fair share of resources or respect. So I think, you know, in Vermont, this is sort of, you know, you go to the NEK and someone says, you know, well... We just don't get enough support from Montpelier. The lack of support from Chittenden County. Chittenden County kind of runs this state now. Chittenden County and Addison County is totally different. They get all the federal and state money. We don't get any here in the kingdom, or very little. Obviously, they're mentioning the kingdom, but, you know, if you go to Townsend, near where I grew up, or Shaftesbury, 
or a Scutney, you name it, like any small rural town in Vermont, they're going to say on both sides of the political aisle, politicians up in Montpelier aren't listening to us down here in southern Vermont. Certainly, I think because the Northeast Kingdom is the most rural part of the state and there are less, you know, large towns and whatnot, you know, that really informs our understanding of the Northeast Kingdom. But I don't necessarily, you know, those attitudes exist elsewhere, too. It's also worth noting that while Essex is the least populous county at about 6,200 people, Orleans and Caledonia are further down the list. But again, when you talk to people there, the overwhelming sentiment is one of rural exceptionalism. What that sounds like right after this. This is Kaplan's Army Store in St. Johnsbury. Hi. I'm from Vermont Public Radio. <laughs> so somebody was just in here. You were next door. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Somebody, somebody warned you? Yes. Oh, my God. All okay, right. we'll do a story on. On the kingdom. Are you kidding me? I love this place. Come on. This is Gary Ely. He's been the manager at Kaplan's for 65 years. That's the whole thing. If you don't like get out of here if you don't like it. And I, I think that people come here and they say, I love this place. It's peaceful, and you can go out and go fishing, and you can hunt, and... It's, good. it's a great place. What do you think? It's How is it different from other parts of Vermont? It's like, uh, I mean, it's, I, I just like it because it's home. It's like, you know, at night when you go home and you get in bed, it's kind of that feeling. There's a security that's, that lies in this area. And I, I love that part of it more than anything. It's just, here it's, it's, a, it's a different way of life. How? Well, it's just more peaceful, and it's not the traffic, and a lot of all of those things that are more like cities. Here, you, I mean, you go out on the street, I could probably talk to, if you meet 50 people, I know 30 or 40 of them, or more. <laughs> you know, we know everybody. They know us. They buy gas every week for their sled. You get to know them. I feel like it's much more friendly. People aren't in a rush to get places. Oh, people are so friendly here. Yeah. You, drive, you, you drive down the road, people wave. They see you driving down the road, they what you know. You need help with that? Trying to load groceries in your car. Oh, you need help with that? If you are prone to gossip, you better be careful on who you're talking to because you never know who is related. my own perception as a person living here. It's kind of like, well, if I didn't go to high school with you and my parents didn't know your grandparents, then tough cookies because I've got all the friends I need and I'm all set. I find that uh, folks up here have made their pathways generationally, you know? So there's probably not a whole lot of need for people to go out and find new friends and new social networks, but having moved to a new area altogether, I had to, I had to make that effort. This is Molly Vasey. She's actually a co-worker of our question asker, Walter. They work at the Old Stonehouse Museum in Brownington. I grew up in Johnson. When I moved to the Northeast Kingdom, when I moved to Ayersburg, I thought to myself, well, it can't be that different, you know? There's no way that it could be that different, but it is. There is a definite cultural shift two towns away is, you know, where I was raised and grew up and still 
you know, coming to Irisburg and living here, there's an undoubted difference. Was there a particular moment when you were like, oh, wait a second, this isn't my home region? You, do you know what I mean? Like, do you have a particular story or moment of realization? It, maybe it wasn't a moment in, as much as the process of realizing how lonely I was. I didn't know anybody, you know, there were no real neighbors or um, people that I grew up with. There was no familial connections, so I was really alone. And I found that a lot of the people that I have connected with are also from, not from this area. Tell how, how it all came about. You're outside and these yeah, two- I was outside. I was, uh, you know, I was, I'd been here for about a week. And uh, these two gentlemen, I've seen them drive back and forth. You know, I live on a back road, so they're, they're out. I don't know if they're road hunting or whatever, but they were out as fall. John Rice is the production director at Moo 92 in Derby. He also goes on the air and works on the show hosted by Scott Wheeler, whom we met at the beginning of the episode. And uh, they were, you know, having a couple of pops and stuff, and, and they pull in finally, and they introduce themselves. They say, so where are you from? I said, I'm from Connecticut. I said, oh, you're a flatlander, huh? And then one guy just says, oh, excuse me while I water your lawn. I'm like, oh, you know, and then that was pretty much that. And they said, well, welcome to, you know, the neighborhood. And they took off. (laughs) The first week you moved here? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You know, at first I was a little intimidated, like, what the heck are these guys doing? And then I realized, oh, you know what? They like me. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say you became friends with them or? Yes, yes. I I became, uh, I know his sons. He's since passed away, but I do know his sons and. I'm very good but friends with them. But just because they watered your lawn. Yeah. And, and, and just, you knew were, you were a They were curious, because obviously you don't see a lot of people like me up here. And they just finally decided to pull in and see who this guy is. No, no, uh, not to tell you what to do, but he mentioned you don't see many people like us. As in, did you did did you think the race thing then? Oh, the, the race thing. I mean, if you want to mention, oh, he's a black gentleman or whatever, you know, I, you know sure. it doesn't bother me. I don't want to turn it into a thing if it's not, but like... Vermont is a very, very white state. Mm-hmm. I think of the Northeast Kingdom as maybe even one of the whiter regions. Um, do you feel like that kind of shapes your experience living here, or do you find it to be a pretty accepting place? Well, I find it to be pretty accepting. See, I, I grew up in a suburban situation, so I had a lot of white friends. Went to an all-white school, so this is really no different to me. Yeah, you know, there are uh, slights or things, but that happens all throughout life. You know what I mean? I mean, if you have a job, count your blessings. Be happy you have a job up here because it's not easy. If you've got one, hang on to it. <laughs> yeah, cherish it. This is Tamara Pogany, a bartender at the American Legions Club in Lindenville. But you have to, if you want to work up here, you travel. If you want to go to the grocery store, you travel. You know, you, you, want, you want to go clothes shopping, you need to go to Burlington. <laughs> I mean, when they closed the Ames down several years ago up in, in Derby, it was, everybody was frantic because it's like, now where do we buy our, you know, where do we buy our towels? Where do we buy our underwear? We, we had nothing. <laughs> yeah, so it was nice when Walmart came in because then we weren't traveling all the way to Littleton, New Hampshire. Um, but yeah, maybe that's something people don't understand about living up here. So when something like that comes in, man, it's big news. <laughs> How, how does the place affect the, the people? They just do it. They just do it. You know, we're Vermonters. We have to travel through the horrible weather back and forth. You know? Get some good snow tires and treat them well. 
Make sure you have a battery pack in your car. <laughs> it's, we just do it. What's striking about hearing everyone talk about the kingdom is that in some ways, the place they describe sounds unique. And in others, it sounds like it could be any rural community. Maybe like the individuals we talk to, maybe not them, but just the vocabulary they're using, like, oh, we need jobs, we need money, we need investment. Like, that's the national story. Right, right, right. Yeah. Our question asker, Walter, came along for some of these interviews. And after an afternoon talking to folks in Island Pond, he had sort of come to the same conclusion. (laughs) Are we just spreading rumors and not believing it? Right. And creating that? It's like, is our myth-making making our reality? This is getting pretty deep. I know, very philosophical. (laughs) Ultimately, when it comes to the kingdom, that's probably the more apt question. Is the myth-making making the reality? Sure, you can look at some numbers and some trends, but that'll only get you so far. The story of the place has taken on a life of its own, for better or for worse. Here's Scott Wheeler and John Rice again. It's either the extreme, like we're, we're like this never-never land with a pot of golds all over. Right. Or, you know, we're like Back this... the dark ages. We're like this, ur- we're like this rural slum, and we're, we're caught somewhere in between. And, uh, you know, we're not perfect, but yet on the other hand is we're not never-never land either. No. There's this binary reputation that the kingdom has. And hearing what everyone in our interviews said, it's tempting to think there's a binary experience for people who live there, too. But Carol Dixon says that's too simplistic. We tend to go the really extreme in looking at that and that opposition, that it's either the people who've been here many generations or the people who are just moved here, right? And of course, there's so many people in between. It's not, it's not one or the other. Carol is the academic dean at Sterling College in Craftsbury Common. And she teaches writing and literature. I live near Montpelier, and I work in the Northeast Kingdom, so I am sort of traveling that insider-outsider distinction every day. Carol teaches a class called Sense of Place. And she and I talked about the writers whose work is deeply rooted in the kingdom, like Howard Frank Mosier and David Budbill and Julia Shipley. We talked about how all the stories about this place that George Aiken named, and also all the marketing of the kingdom, have made it difficult to do what Walter asked us to do, which was basically separate fact from fiction or impression. I guess I'm thinking about in that phrase, a sense of place, like what does that mean, right? And is there is there such a thing as a different sense of place here versus somewhere else? And I mean, ultimately I get to the point where it doesn't really, does it matter if it's in people's heads or if it's an actual thing because it's there, right? It's, um, it may be just myth. It may be just the way people talk to one another, but that becomes a certain reality. Scott Wheeler probably put it best when he said this, the Northeast Kingdom is a state of mind. Thanks so much for listening to the show this month. And thanks to Greg Miller, Dylan Tester, Melinda Gervais-Lamoray, Scott Gowdy, John Rice, Mike Strait, Craig Goulet, and Jason Basie for sharing their thoughts for this episode. Erica Heilman contributed reporting. 
Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. Our editor is Lynn McRae, and our theme music is by Ty Gibbons. And all the music in this month's episode was by Patrick Ross and his independent, Vermont-based Rock Farmer record label in Newberry. We have engineering support from Chris Albertine. Special thanks to Liam Elder Connors, Bob Kinzel, and Tim Patterson. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back next month. And until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.